The following sermon was preached on May 30th, 2021 at Antioch Presbyterian Church, a mission work of Calvary Presbytery of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Woodruff, South Carolina. Guest preacher and veteran missionary Mr. Joseph Harrell preached this sermon entitled Gathering and Scattering on Acts 2, 1-12. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com or contact us at info at AntiochPCA.com. May the Lord bless you as you receive gracious instruction from His Word. Now, I have asked the children to draw something for me today. And so you are going to be ready to start drawing, but I want to tell you, you're not going to draw the Tower of Babel. You're going to be drawing something else. One of the most, perhaps, peculiar passages in the Bible is described for us in Genesis chapter 11. It's a story of those who came together to build a name for themselves. It seems that their great fear was that God was going to scatter them all over the earth. And so they decided that they would build themselves a monument, a tower that would reach all the way to heaven itself. It's interesting that the text of the Bible says that God uh, had to come down. God had to look down to see what they were doing. Now this, of course, doesn't mean that the God who knows all things, who sees all things, who sees us and knows us, didn't see. But it's that to emphasize that this great tower that they were building so high to reach the heavens, the holy, omnipotent creator came down in order to see, what is this? Well, you see, his purpose is revealed to us in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Remember, God had said that man was made in his image, male and female, to fill the earth. Not to build a name for himself or herself, but to spread the knowledge of his image throughout the earth. And so now God comes down, it says, to look. And he makes a decision. He knows how to end this little project. He, he comes down, let us go down. He goes down and he confuses their tongues, their language. Suddenly, the work stopped. Today, we will see that really, Pentecost and the coming of the Holy Spirit is the reversal of the curse of Babel. We will see how God's purpose will always has been and will be, even through us, fulfilled to spread the knowledge of his glory to all nations and to all peoples. A question is given to us in Acts chapter 2, the second part of verse 12. And we'll be working our way around this question from two different angles today. The question is, what does this mean? when the Holy Spirit comes. And so the first thing that we will do today is to, to see the event itself. What took place on the day of Pentecost with the pouring out of the Holy Spirit? And then later, 
we will be looking at the reactions. Actually, there are two reactions to what God does and what God is doing today. And we will be identifying how that is true and is relevant in our day right here where we live as it was on that day. First of all, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. This coming of the Holy Spirit, you remember, had been promised long ago. We see in the Old Testament reading that we had actually quoting in our New Testament reading, Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, we read that in the last days, and remember that the last days are the time between the first coming of Christ and the second coming of Christ. And so during these last days, it says that God would pour out His Spirit on all flesh, on all mankind, on people of different nationalities and languages. The amazing thing about this is, as we will see later in our text, when God's Spirit is poured out, it reminds us of the words of Moses, actually, when God's Spirit came upon those that God had designated to lead His people. And you remember that Joshua was jealous for Moses, and he wanted to stop them. But Moses said these words, Oh, would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put His Spirit upon them. Numbers eleven twenty nine, And so this now is being fulfilled. In the Old Testament, we see the Spirit of God coming upon people to equip them at specific times, usually for specific tasks, and we'll look more of that in a few moments. But this event of the coming of the Holy Spirit and equipping the church to fulfill the Great Commission was not new. You remember that in both Isaiah's calling in chapter 6 and Ezekiel's calling, both of them were equipped by the Spirit of God to carry out the task that they were given. In fact, this is going to give the children in a few moments what you're going to be drawing. It has to do with fire. It has to do with wind. Before Christ's resurrection, he had told his disciples frequently about two things. You'll remember that one of them was he told them that he was going to go to the cross, that he was going to suffer and die, but after three days, he would be raised again. The second thing that he spoke to them about, especially nearing the end of his ministry, was the promise of the Holy Spirit, what we are celebrating today. Turn with me, if you will, back to John chapter 14. In John 14, or simply listen to the reading, beginning with verse 16, Jesus promised to his disciples, John 14, 16, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. Amazing promise. He will be with you, the Holy Spirit, forever. This is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because he does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be with you. 
I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Emmanuel, God with us. He is with us through the person of the Holy Spirit. And then skipping down to verse 26 of that same chapter, John chapter 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. Someone has rightly said that the book of Acts, often titled the Acts of the Apostles, really could be well titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Forty times Holy Spirit is mentioned in the book of Acts. It, what Jesus is saying is that after his departure, the Holy Spirit would teach them, would remind them, would continue to work and to do. And the same theme is picked up in chapter 15, in verse 26. Jesus promised, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness of me. Notice that it says Jesus is sending the Holy Spirit, but the Spirit proceeds from the Father. That's why we confess the creed and the teaching of Scripture that Jesus had taught here very clearly that the Holy Spirit actually proceeds from the Father and the Son. He will bear witness of me, Jesus said, and you will bear witnesses also because you have been with me from the beginning. Remember, that was one of the requirements to be an apostle. They had to be one who had not only physically seen Christ, but one who had been with him from the beginning. But we will see today what equipped them to be witnesses to the resurrection was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Children, you'll begin to draw just in a second. Hold on, we're almost there. <laughs> And finally, in John chapter 16, and I'm taking the time to do this because I want to show you that what we're seeing is the fulfillment not only of the Old Testament promise found in Joel and many other places, but it's also the fulfillment of Jesus' own promise to his disciples in John 16, verse 7. But I tell you the truth. Imagine this. Jesus is speaking to his his disciples, but I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him to you. Uh, this week, as some face surgery, uh, this week, as some will be completing their schoolwork for this year, this week, as some of us will be involved in our regular jobs, isn't it amazing that it's to our advantage that Jesus has ascended and sent the Holy Spirit? Because he will be with us in offices, in our homes, in a hospital, on the highway, wherever the Lord takes us. Emmanuel, God is with us. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That's his promise. Not only that, but he promised that actually just before his ascension. Look at the book 
in the letter uh, in Luke, I'm sorry, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. You remember just before Christ's ascension in verse 46. Remember, he had some specific instructions to him. Sometimes children, our parents have specific instructions to us of what we are to do and what we are not to do. And we need to listen to them, but listen to these instructions. Luke 24, 46. And he said to them, Jesus said to the disciples, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. It almost sounds like he's leaving them homework. Uh, you are, he looks around at that time, there are the eleven before him. And he says, as he thinks about the whole world and all the nations, continents that they did not know yet, make disciples of all the nations. But then we need to read on. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. The instruction was clear and it's repeated in Acts chapter 1. They were not to leave until the Holy Spirit had been sent. And so as we think about this and the event that took place at that time, we see first of all that it had been promised. It had been promised by Jesus. It had been promised before through the prophets in the Old Testament. But what exactly took place? that brought about the reversal of Babel. Well, it's something that took place on the day of Pentecost. In Luke chapter 2, we read this word, and perhaps uh, you as myself at one time would read this, and uh, it's one of those words you read in your Bible and you kind of read right over. What, what is this? Well, I'm not going to... You go back and read it right now, but if you would look back in the Old Testament, you would actually see that this was one of the festivals. It was one of the festivals that actually uh, designated a period of seven weeks, seven times in Leviticus 23, verses 15 and 16, which comes to, those of you who are good at math, 50 days. Pentecost would be 50 days after the beginning of Passover. Passover, we remember on the Lord's Day of Passover, the Lord Jesus Christ rose victoriously over death. 50 days later, the Holy Spirit is poured out upon the church. This is important for many reasons. First of all, it is a festival of harvest. Jesus is spoken of in his resurrection as the first fruits of the harvest, but then we follow after him. The harvest has begun, but this is well into summer. This is well into the harvest, and it celebrated really the first fruits, the first crops. Now, I don't know about you, but I am looking forward to South Carolina peaches. 
Um, one of the things we tell people, you have to visit Colombia because of all the fruits and vegetables. But you know, there are some fruits and vegetables that we enjoy more here than there, and peaches would be one of them. Hard for me to confess, being from Georgia, South Carolina peaches are wonderful. And so as we think about it, we go into summer and think of the harvest and what this means, this is really the time of Pentecost for them. It was really the, the harvest at which they presented to God uh, not only the first fruits of this, but they thanked him as they really began the full harvest. And it wasn't by accident that the Holy Spirit was poured out then as promised. It was the harvest in which first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, and on to Samaria in the neighboring area, but to the uttermost parts of the earth, they would be witnesses to the resurrection. So they were all gathered, it says, in one accord. Many of the Bible commentaries that I looked at pointed out how important it was that not only Passover, the resurrection of Jesus took place at the time of Passover as the Lamb of God offered himself willingly for our sins, but it's also important that the Holy Spirit was poured out at this time. Why? Because as we read in our text, godly Jews from all of the nations where they had been dispersed were to gather for Passover. It was so strategic that these people would witness what God was doing at this time that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the church. And so it was so further the fulfillment of the Great Commission. This is not by accident. Nor is it by accident that you are here today. Nor is it by accident that we are living at this time in this place. God is working together according to his plan and his purpose as Lord of the harvest, as Lord of the history, all things. It says here in this text that a rushing Violent, forcible wind filled the whole house. Now sometimes God speaks in a still, small voice. There are times in which the movement of God or the movement of the Spirit of God is peaceable, like the dove that descended upon Jesus at his baptism, symbolizing the Holy Spirit. So, children, what I need you to draw, first of all, is the wind. Now you say, how do I do that? Uh, Jesus, speaking of the Spirit's work in Nicodemus' life, said, the Spirit moves where he wills, or where it wills, speaking of the wind. You don't see him move. You see its effect. So somewhere you need to draw one of the symbols in the Bible that we see in our text for the Holy Spirit is wind. He is the breath of God, yet he is a person. He is the third person of the Trinity. So we do not represent him in a physical way, but we represent the wind in some way. But this was a violent wind. This was a forcible wind. This was something you could hear and visually sense. As this took place, the whole house was filled. Jesus, some time before, had breathed on 
the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit. At this time, as the Spirit comes upon the church, it is a forcible wind that is strong and that everyone knows something is taking place. Not only that, but it says in the text that tongues appeared as fire on each of them. So the second thing that you need to draw today is fire. The Holy Spirit is often referred to, as we said earlier, the prophets, by the symbol of fire. We think of the coal that was touched to Isaiah's lips to purify him as a prophet. The same is true as Ezekiel saw the presence of God come as the fiery chariot. John the Baptist had said, he will baptize you, speaking of Jesus, with the Holy Spirit and fire. But why fire? Why does fire symbolize the Holy Spirit in Scripture? Well, we know that fire purifies. Fire cleanses away the dross and the corruption. And in this case, tongues appeared as a fire resting on each of them. Isn't it interesting here that the word given to us, resting, has a significance that the Spirit is going to stay there. He rests upon them. For we see, as I mentioned earlier in the Old Testament again and again, that the Spirit of God would come on someone as he did on Samson and empower Samson with strength. He would come upon kings and prophets to enable them to complete the calling and purpose God had given them. But it was for a season, for time, and for a specific purpose. But now the Spirit comes and he not only rests upon them, but our text tells us that he filled them. And as he filled them, something incredible took place. They began to pronounce and announce and speak forth the mega or mighty works of God. Now this was amazing. People from every nation, the Jews had been dispersed to the different nations, as we'll see in a moment, they were there. And the result of the coming of the Holy Spirit was the fulfillment of the Great Commission. They immediately, upon being filled with the Holy Spirit, as later they would pray for the Spirit to come, they would speak with boldness the great deeds of the Lord. What do you suppose those great deeds would have been? As Jews, we would think of the deliverance from Egypt, from slavery. But I think based upon Peter's sermon and the apostles' teaching in the book of Acts, they always proclaim Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and the need to repent and believe the gospel. In, in one way, if you study through the book of Acts, the, the sermons, there's not a lot of different themes because as the gospel was going forth, they proclaim the great deeds of God, which are those deeds in the Lord Jesus Christ. 
there was always repentance or turning from sin and faith turning to Christ. That outline of proclamation, as it was called, was repeated again and again faithfully as they were filled by the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do, the third person of the Holy Trinity, in our life today here at Antioch Presbyterian Church? It's the very same thing. First of all, He fills us. He actually lives within us. I've forgotten whether it was Dr. Piper or Zach who recently said, children, when you ask Jesus, to fill you. When we say that Jesus lives in us, or we are in Christ, what we are really saying is that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, lives in us. And so what we see is that His Spirit equips us and lives within us so that we can say with Paul, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. How does Christ live in you? If you are in Christ today, it is through the Holy Spirit. Today, God continues to work to gather a people from every tongue, from every tribe, and every nation. And so we see, with the event of the coming of the Spirit, the curse of Babel is being reversed. But as we move on in our text, we see the reaction, two different reactions to the event of Pentecost. In verse 6, it says that those who heard the Galileans speaking the mighty deeds of God in their own dialect, they were amazed. They were bewildered in verse 7. They marveled. In verse 12, they continued in amazement and were greatly perplexed because not only in their specific dialects, but also in their languages, they were hearing of the mighty deeds of the Lord. This text shows us, and the words actually pile up on each other to show that the first reaction to what was taking place was one of utter amazement. Well, you might be saying, well, what was amazing about that? Well, we don't know whether it was because of the sound of the rushing wind or whether it was actually hearing these men who were from one area, they were Galileans, they were actually speaking without accent, I would assume, perfectly in the dialect and the languages of people from how many nations? Did you count them? It's interesting to look at a map and to identify where these Jews were from. Basically, the idea is that you begin from Jerusalem and you go west. Then you go to the north. Then you come down to the south and you end up in the east. Some of the people that we identify actually in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, later in Paul's letters, are from these areas. And just in case he's missed one, through the Holy Spirit he mentions that there were Cretans and Arabs there as well. 
The point of this is that the Great Commission, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is and will be fulfilled. That those of every tongue, tribe, people, and nation will hear the mighty deeds of the Lord Jesus Christ, of his life, death, resurrection, ascension, glorification, and his second coming, and will be called to repentance and to faith. F.F. Bruce, in his commentary on the book of Acts, says, this is an impressive roll call of the nations. <laughs> and I would agree. But how does that apply to us here today? I believe that the way that that applies to us here today is to begin by looking around us. I look out and I see my brothers here from Hong Kong. Uh, I look over this way and I see my brother from the Philippines and his family. Uh, recently we had a visitor at our church who was from Africa. I think about the outreach that Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary has had where God has brought students from different countries who speak different languages. I was studying in the library last year and I, I hear two brothers speaking. I know it's not Spanish, but it's close. Portuguese, they're Brazilian. What is God doing? What God is doing is that he is with us forever, but he's with us for a purpose. He's with us to sanctify us. If we are in Christ, he is to work in us, to strengthen us, to die to sin, to live to righteousness, but he is also there to equip us to send us out with the proclamation of the gospel. Pentecost continues. Every Lord's Day, we celebrate the resurrection. The great Bible commentary Matthew Henry said, Every Lord's Day, we celebrate Pentecost. We come and we gather together. We worship the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then we are sent out. We're sent out to be his witnesses into a world with great need. There's a second group mentioned in this text. As you continue to draw about uh, the two symbols that represent the Holy Spirit, which would be water, of course, is one of the other ones you could draw, and the dove are two other symbols of the Holy Spirit. And add those to your list. However, there's a second group in this text, and with this admonition, we'll close this sermon. Verse 13 of Acts chapter 2, it says, but others were mocking. The word's very strong there. They were, they were jeering. They were scoffing. They excused this as being drunk with new wine at 9 o'clock in the morning. Peter, with a good sense of humor, quickly dismisses this and says, Come on. Uh, first of all, look at the time 
Secondly, look what you've just said. New wine is, is sweet wine. It's wine that's not fully fermented. It's, it's largely grape juice. No, they're not drunk. But even though their argument was not really plausible or logical, that they were drunk and it was 9 o'clock in the morning with new wine, yet we need to be prepared for the accusation, for the arguments that are not plausible against our faith and the Christ that we represent. All of the excuses will be thrown at us, and I believe increasingly so. Jesus prepared his disciples for persecution. He said, if they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. I believe as we follow up new believers, as we train leaders for the church, we need to be prepared and we need to prepare them. But yet how sad. How sad to think that there are those who scoff and mock today. With arguments that are as plausible as they're drunk with sweet wine at 9 o'clock in the morning. The scriptures are very clear. We are to repent and to believe the gospel. This is the call upon all of us. And so, as the children have been drawing this representation of, of the wind, the Spirit of God who comes and gives life, as our meditation text speaks of the Spirit as the water that gives life, as we know that fire is given to purge away the sin, how we need to be filled with God's Spirit. Today, the scriptures tell us, is the day of salvation. We were visiting yesterday, and we had the privilege of speaking to a couple who professed faith in Christ. But I'll never forget the words of the gentleman I was speaking with well into his 70s. And he said, you know, for years I attended a church in this neighborhood and I would sing all the songs. And he said, but it was not until I was 50 years old, 50 years old, that I actually knew Jesus Christ. And of course, as we understand our text, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. Has the Holy Spirit done that work in you? Coming into the church does not make us a believer in Christ. Simply walking in the door here any more than walking into a parking lot makes you an automobile. Then what does it mean to be in Christ? You have drawn it. Those of you who have drawn the symbol of the Holy Spirit is being filled with God's Spirit, cleansed, our baptism itself, as the meditation calls us to, reflects the idea of the water, which represents Jesus' blood, which washes away our sins. It represents the Holy Spirit who comes and fills us and makes us new. And so the call today, do not stay if you are in this second grouping. Maybe you don't openly scoff or make fun of the gospel. But you are yet to believe. The promise 
is to those who are far off. I love this passage because it tells us not only is the promise for the Jews, but those who are far off are people like you and I, who are Gentiles who have no natural claim to the promises, to the covenants, and yet, by His grace, through the coming of the Holy Spirit, we have been made a part. As we apply this passage, we think, first of all, of the need to repent and believe. But secondly, we recognize that we are to be a part of what God is doing right here in our midst. Believers in the Lord Jesus, do not despise the day of small beginnings. We look around Sunday after Sunday, sometimes the same faces. We continue to pray for visitors. And yet, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Finally, we need to pray as is often prayed in this church that the gospel would continue to go forth that we would be a part of the sending and part of the going and that the great commission would be fulfilled oh that people today men and women boys and girls of every tongue tribe people and nation would be filled with the holy spirit would then be enabled by him to live their lives for Christ and for his glory and to be those who would be sent out to make disciples of all the nations. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Antioch Presbyterian Church. We are located in the historic Cashville community of Woodruff, South Carolina, near the intersection of South Carolina Highways 101 and 417. For more information about Antioch Presbyterian Church, please visit AntiochPCA.com.